I was in London. I was on one of the projects I was just talking about. I had a meeting in the morning. I was in King's Cross. I went out to meet one of my other clients for lunch. While I was out, I was beginning to feel a bit strange. I started to lose my words slightly, but I don't. But I'm told by the person I had lunch with didn't notice that there was anything wrong with me. When I came back in the afternoon, I went to another meeting back in the same place in King's Cross and somebody said oh could you just change that that document that we're working on could you just change that that line there and then I realized I couldn't they gave me a scan uh, almost immediately and they said okay we need to, we need to bring you in so I was in the hospital for about four days five days something like that my blood pressure was high but nobody I've spoken to has actually said this is what happened it was just could have been bad luck somebody said the other day so when are you going to come back to work sort of thing and I said well to be honest I'm not sure I will be able to come back to work and do exactly what I did before they'd quite often say oh blimey there's nothing wrong with you you can talk you know what's wrong with you because it's not like that at all as we know because you're, you look all right and you walk and talk, people think that's how it is. You, you're all right, you know, but it's not. There's a lot going on underneath. As a stroke survivor, I think you just have to be, as I say, you have to be positive as much as you possibly can and get as much help as you can from other people as well. Let people help you. Hello, this is Stroke Stories and I'm Mark Goodyear. The risk factors for stroke differ between age groups. Those under 50 often suffer a stroke due to arterial tears or undiagnosed heart disorders. For those over 50, the risk factors relate more to lifestyle choices or age-related conditions like high blood pressure. Whatever the cause, the consequences of stroke can be serious, whatever age you are. So we started Stroke Stories, the podcast, to seek out and to hear from stroke survivors. In this podcast, we'll be hearing from two stroke survivors. First, Jonathan Hirons from Seaton in Devon, who suffered a stroke at the age of 69. Two days a week, I was spending time project managing. I used to go to London probably a couple of times a month, I guess, for meetings and so on and so forth. I've got a, a couple of other prop clients, I suppose you call them, that I, I work with as well. So I was backwards and forwards. Yeah, it was fairly, fairly busy. It wasn't exactly a quiet life, let's put it like that. I was in London. I was on one of the projects I was just talking about. I had a meeting in the morning. I was in King's Cross. I went out to meet one of my other clients for lunch. While I was out, I was beginning to feel a bit strange. I started to lose my words slightly, but, I don't, but I'm told by the person I had lunch with didn't notice that there was anything wrong with me. When I came back in the afternoon, I went to another meeting back in the same place in King's Cross and somebody said, oh, could you just change that, that document that we're working on? Could you just change that, that line there? And then I realized I couldn't. So that was the moment when I thought, ah, oh, this is really is, and that's why I was feeling a bit, you know, strange. And I said to the, my colleagues, uh, I don't think I feel right, really. And they said, oh, maybe you just need to sit down. So I sat down and then I started to feel very strange. 
So I called somebody over. I think it was somebody in the, the place where I was working. They had a look at me and then they decided to get an ambulance. So the ambulance arrived and they had a look at me and that was that, that was it. I was in hospital. Fortunately, I was just up the road. I was about five minutes away. So it actually all happened very quickly. The ambulance, and this is the middle of London, the, the ambulance came within probably, I don't know, five minutes, something like that. They had a look at me, and I think they tested a few things. They must have looked at my blood pressure. I was I guess that was the problem. And they said, no, you, you need to go. So it was blue light to um, the hospital up the road. So within 10 minutes, I was, I was in hospital. They gave me a scan uh, almost immediately, and they said, okay, we need, to, we need to bring you in. So I was in hospital for about four days, five days, something like that. My blood pressure was high, but nobody I've spoken to has actually said this is what happened. It was just could have been bad luck. Initially, I couldn't really do anything. I could speak reasonably, but not terribly well. I, it was very difficult to speak, and I couldn't write and I couldn't read. That was immediate, you know, so it's from, you know, day one, as it were. Whilst I was in hospital, I sort of started to get bits of things back. My speech became a bit more clear. I found it very tiring to even do anything. Uh, I couldn't write. I couldn't write my name or my telephone number or anything like that. So I couldn't do anything like that. I tried to do it and it was, you know, it was complete nonsense. So they said, oh, well, just, you know, just relax, as it were, and we'll see how we get on. So I got back home and almost immediately I started to, my speech was, was beginning to come back to the point where I could, you know, I could get through a conversation, a small conversation anyway. But I still found talking to anybody else, you know, I talked to my wife because obviously I know her well well enough, but if anybody else comes along, I, I was finding difficulty in finding words, you know. And of course, I was physically, I'm fine. You know, I mean, I had been all, all along. I didn't have any physical problems with walking or anything like that. They tested all that in the hospital. They took me up and down the stairs and said, can you do this, can you do that? And everything's fine from that point of view. So it was all in my head, as it were. What happens to me is that I can have a discussion, say, with you, and that's reasonably okay because it's kind of one-to-one. -one. But if I'm in a group, I find it a lot harder. I'm not quick enough, basically, to keep up with chit-chat, shall we say, you know as you might find in a group of people, you know, sitting around just sort of, you know, having a laugh or whatever. So uh, that still is a problem for me because I just can't keep up. I mean, I do my best, but, it, you know, sometimes I just can't do it. Some days are better than others as well. So I'll have good days with words and I'll have bad days. And that's just words just disappear. You know, I just can't catch them, as it were. So in my head, I know what the word is. This is the strange thing about all of it, is that everything that goes on in my head is right, but it just doesn't come out right on my end of the tongue, as they think they say. I can't do it. So I could struggle on all sorts of words. I just get stuck on them one day, and then the next day I wouldn't have any problem with it. So it's a come and go thing, yeah. Jonathan's stroke had a serious impact on his day-to-day -day life. At that moment, <laughs> my work stopped because I couldn't hold the sort of conversations that I would have, you know, running a project 
you know, you obviously you've got to communicate with people quite a lot. You know, I can have this discussion with you. I don't know how I would manage in a, a room of people or whatever. And I used to do presentations and all sorts of things. You know, all that's kind of gone, really. And the, the writing was the biggest problem. In my head, I could read uh, almost straight away. So I could read the newspaper, but I couldn't read out loud for, for quite a long time. It's better now. And I couldn't write at all. And writing was really difficult and still is. It's better, but it's terribly slow. It's the little words that trip you up, not the big words, you know, because they're not connected to anything. I can do a nice large words, no problem, but little words, you know, but, is, and, they still elude me when I write. So in terms of the work, that's pretty much it basically to do that work I was doing anyway so I haven't worked since it's frustrating and I was working to suit myself and and I quite like the work so I would have you know I would have carried on I'd be doing it now you know which is why I started thinking about doing these videos you know Jonathan is now using his skills as a filmmaker to help support a local stroke group I went to a speech therapist locally they started to get my speech and stuff back. They said, oh, you know, there's this organisation, Exeter, that might be helpful to you. So I went along just to see what was what. I met Barbara, who runs charity, and, well, it's sort of one thing led to another. And I said, well, actually, you know, she was saying it's quite difficult to get people interested. So I said, well, why don't I do a couple of films and you can use them for you know in social media or whatever and that's where it started the problem is i i used to write the scripts of everything so that's the one thing i couldn't do so i had to get them to do, write the scripts and i kind of put it all together and to date i think we've done three little videos about the problem and how people deal with it and so on and so forth. And I'm just about to do one now to do with helping to get volunteers to help the group's excellent. They've got a singing group, which is brilliant, which I have been to. And they've got an art group as well. So, I mean, they're really doing great stuff. And everybody loves it. You know, all the people that go, they absolutely love going and so on, you know. But it's a small group and there's a lot more people who have it who obviously don't get the same attention that they get. I'm told there's 6,000 people in uh, Devon alone. Somebody said the other day, so when are you going to come back to work sort of thing? And I said, well, to be honest, I'm not sure I will be able to come back to work and do exactly what I did before. They'd quite often say, oh, blimey, there's nothing wrong with you. You can talk, you know, what's wrong with you? Because it's not like that at all, as we know. Because you're, you look all right and you walk and talk, people think that's how it is. You, you're all right, you know, but it's not. there's a lot going on underneath. I'm probably more aware of you know the frailties of life one day you're bowling along and the next day you're not you know it's, it's always a bit that sort of pulls you back a bit really but i as i say i tend to be a fairly positive rather than negative person i'm not going to sort of stop let's put it like that i shall still carry on i think what i'm thinking of doing is taking the the video route and taking that perhaps a bit further and maybe working with charities and so on helping them doing the sort of thing i've done with the aphasia group is to see if i can you know give them some help along the way with you know doing sort of videos or podcasts or you know that sort of thing
for other stroke survivors, Jonathan believes you should have a think about how you can change your lifestyle. For people who actually have a stroke, I think you just have to, basically, you have to try and be as positive as you possibly can in terms of trying to get as as well as you possibly can. It is good also to think about your lifestyle as well, because that's clearly will have some effect if you've had a stroke. I used to do quite a fair bit of exercise, but I do more now than I used to. And I think that is, you know, every doctor says walking or swimming or something is the way to keep things going, you know, and and keep things at bay, as it were. And I think as, as a stroke survivor, I think you just have to be, as I say, you have to be positive as much as you possibly can and get as much help as you can from other people as well. Let people help you. Loved ones, yeah, it's it's tough for them. I think it's a re- it's almost as hard for them as it is for the people with having it. And and I'm sure there, you know, obviously for some loved ones, they've got some real problems. You know, they have a real change in their their routine and their lives and so on and so forth. Uh, I'm lucky because my wife's she's been extremely good, uh, and and she's been very good at helping me stay positive and and do my exercises and do my speech exercise and so on and so forth but again you know you have to be as positive as you possibly can and also get help and or or take help if it's if it's offered you know don't try and struggle on you know let somebody else take take the load a bit it's the person that's looking after the person with the stroke that probably needs more help in that respect you know that they need sort of a break from it and so on and so forth so yeah if you, you can get help go for it is what i say Jonathan made a great recovery after his stroke and his filmmaking talents have been put to good use, bringing awareness to stroke and aphasia throughout Devon. Still to come on this episode of Stroke Stories. Before my stroke, I thought I had my life perfect. I had a quite good job. I was with my ex-boyfriend, but somehow the universe stopped me and told me, hey, this is not the correct way. And the stroke arrived into my life. We were making the bed, cleaning the, the room, and I started to feel weird, like I was drunk. And I fell down and hit my head against the wall. I remember that he asked me if I was okay, and I told him, yes, I am okay. And he started screaming, no, you are not okay. I told him, I am okay. I thought that it was just the heat against the wall. The truth is that I don't understand nothing because I was with a lot of medicines. I was sleepy almost all the time and I can't talk because I was with tracheotomy. So I can't talk, just wrote in a book. It was difficult because I don't understand nothing. You have to love your life, take care of your body because sometimes we forget that we only have one body and when we are young we feel like we are superheroes and invincible, but we are not. In this second part we hear from Paz Heavier Salina from Santiago in Chile. She suffered a stroke at the age of 29. Before my stroke I thought I had my life perfect. I had a quite good job. I was with my ex-boyfriend, but somehow the universe 
stop me and tell me, hey, this is not the correct way. And the stroke arrives into my life. I remember when with my ex-boyfriend we were making the bed, cleaning the, the room, and I started to feel weird, like I was drunk, and I fell down and hit my head against the wall. I remember that he asked me if I was okay, and I told him, yes, I am okay. And he started screaming, no, you are not okay. I told him, I am okay. I thought that it was just a hit against the wall. I never thought that it's a stroke. So I told him, I'm okay, don't worry. And he started screaming, no, 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 you are having a stroke. I told him, no, you are crazy. And later, we went into the car. When we arrived to the emergency room, I lost conscious. First, the doctor asked if I consumed some drugs, but my ex-boyfriend told him no. She just smokes cigarettes and works a lot. So the doctors make some exams, and the result was I having a stroke, an hemorrhagic stroke, in the left side of my brain. I remember that my father told me that the doctors told him that I won't be able to speak, walk, eat again. First time I was three months in the emergency room. After that, I was in UC. Two and a half months. After that, the doctors moved me to another room. I was one month there. And after that, two months in another hospital. I was very delicate and I had to be in bed all the time. So the physio came into my room just to move my legs and arms. The first few months following Paz's stroke were the hardest for her. The truth is that I don't understand nothing because I was with a lot of medicines. I was sleepy almost all the time and I can't talk because I was with tracheotomy. So I can't talk, just wrote in a book. It was difficult because I don't understand nothing. I was sleepy, I feel drugged, but I talked with my doctors and asked them if they can eliminate some medicines because I want to feel better, awake and be able to read and be with my family because my family was in the room but I was sleepy all the time. I have a blood condition called thrombophilia. I have to have a, a healthy life and I have to take a medicine forever. I used to have my hair long and after the first surgery I was completely bald. When I look into the mirror I can't believe what I'm seeing because I told my sister, sister, I look like a monster. She told me, no, but at first I feel like a monster. That was the most difficult. It took me almost one year, but now I feel, I know that the interior beauty is more important than exterior beauty. Paz hasn't gone back to her old job but she doesn't miss it. 
I was a visual merchandiser. I make window displays in a retail here in Chile. But my work was very stressing. Very, very stressing. So I don't want to come back because now I, I want to have a quiet life without stress in my life. I think a lot what I'm going to do every day because I want to do things that makes me happy, not things that makes other people happy. Here in my country, we don't have a lot, but maybe there is my job, you know? Maybe I can make a group of stroke support in my country. Great idea, no? I'm going to therapy four times a week because I have a lot to do with my arm and my leg. My arm is more slow than my leg, so I'm a little worried. But I'm working in my arm and I won't stop till I get it back. I'm very optimistic person and maybe if the doctors told me that my arm won't be useful again I will continue working on my own way because I know that I can do everything that I want because my brain is so powerful. Paz has made a great recovery. She puts it down to the people around her. My family was my most important group for my rehabilitation. My mother and my father, they were with me all the time. I think that for all the person that had a stroke, the family is the most important group for the rehabilitation. At first, I thought that I was the only one that had a stroke. So I started to wrote in my Instagram about the stroke and use the hashtag stroke. And through the hashtag, I start to read a lot of stories similar. And that way I feel that I wasn't the only one. I start talking with another person, young person who had a stroke and understand me completely. That's great. I think that the past is the past. And I am grateful for the woman that I became today. And every night I say in my bed, thank you, God, for my stroke, because it makes me a better person. I know it sounds crazy how somebody can be thankful for a stroke, no? And finally, Paz believes we should focus on looking after our mind and our body. You have to love your life, take care of your body, because... Sometimes we forget that we only have one body and when we are young, we feel like we are superheroes and invincible, but we are not. I started to meditate, mindfulness. It is a meditation style for mindfulness and it helps me a lot. Despite the seriousness of Paz's stroke, she's come out the other end a hugely positive person and may one day set up her own stroke support group to help other survivors. Coming up on the next episode of Stroke Stories.
Bill is still Bill, but I've leveled up. I understand more of what's happening in my brain. It's a different life, but it's still a great life. If you're listening to this podcast because you've had a stroke or somebody close to you has, and you'd like to learn more, search online for The Stroke Association. And whichever podcast provider you use, please subscribe to our series, rate and comment, because that'll help us spread the word. The Stroke Stories podcast was produced by Aidan Judd. I'm Mark Goodyear. Thank you for listening. Thank you for listening.